Greetings, Amigups, and Top Teners everywhere. Welcome back to another edition of Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me this week, as he is every week, is your co-host, Michael. Now, it's officially the new year. It's 2021, which means it's time for me and Mike to start rattling off our year-end lists. We like to do these types of lists, and we are bringing back a list from last year that you also very much enjoyed I know the topic this time, so does Mike. He's put it together. He's made a top 10 version of this list, which he will relate to me and to you, dear listener. We probably won't do any re-ranking whatsoever, uh, but we'll talk about each of the items in great detail, and we'll arrive at a definitive version of Michael's list before adjourning. Uh, so without further ado, Michael, let's get to it. Uh, well, it's interesting, Kyle. So you said me and Mike, but you said it really fast together, and it sounded like me, oh. Mike. So me, Mike, me, and Mike reporting for duty. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, I'm so fragile right now. Don't oh, be shit. too mean. Yeah. Uh, so Kyle, you alluded to it. We're doing one of the year end lists. We are doing the 2020 Mike Booker Prize. So as uh, we've done in the past, we are going to do uh, my favorite fictional books of the year so there's a couple rules for the main body of the list it has to be a fictional book and it has to be now this there's a couple of judgment calls which we can talk about when we get to them but it has to be independent of a series so it can't be like harry potter and the order of the phoenix um is a definite no-go because that's not really fair to the listeners not very no it's not because it's the fifth in a series there's a couple that are like one of an anthology or something that we can talk about. But that's basically the rule. Some of these books came out, you know, this year. Some of these books came out in the like 1900s, maybe even the 1800s. So this is just about what I read. Does it this have year. to be? Because I think last year the rules, it had to be on your shelf. Is that still the case? Or is it just something you had? So it is the case. But for the sake of uh, cleanliness, because. The last couple times it's gotten quite unwieldy trying to move the books around. Yeah. We're going to lose some of the uh, the kitschiness of, of that little uh, little quirk. So we're just going to do uh, all off of the okay. internets. But I do, I promise all these books are on my okay, shelf. Okay, good. Uh, so, any questions? Or you what, why don't you hit it? me with number 10? I'm very, very excited because a lot of the books I read this year I got off the Mike Booker prize list for 2019 beautiful so what i'm gonna do i i don't know I, i'm trying to i'm trying to decide um how i'm gonna do this i will probably just give you a very brief summary or overview of the plot and then i'm gonna read my reviews oh. from goodreads because these are all on goodreads i may end up making this into a its list. own shelf uh yeah, it's on shelf, so people can check it out. But uh, if you're friends with me on Goodreads, you can check this out on my 2020 reading challenge. All of these books will be there. Excellent. So that so that's the scoop. So number ten, actually, one of the first books I read. In fact, it may have even been the first book I read. A uh, second book I read last year. Um, the Map of Salt and Stars by Zane Jukadar, Gesundheit. and that is spelled. Z-E-Y-N, and the last name is J-O-U-K-H-A-D-A-R. So this book is really interesting. It's about a little girl um, named uh, Noor, and it's about this. She is a Syrian refugee, and she is with her sister and her mom, and they are uh, being forced to relocate after the civil war breaks out in syria and it's about her her journey with her family but at the same time it is following a mythical story or a uh uh like ledge of a legendary story from 800 years ago that intertwines with her own story interesting so it's the story of nor the little syrian girl and rawia who is a mythological hero. And it is just truly wonderful. So the review I wrote was, uh, and excuse it, and some of these are really douchey, but I just, this is how I write reviews. 
Uh, intertwining the main plot and a mythical tale could have felt forced and awkward, but it felt natural and hugely beneficial to the novel as a whole. The writing was lyrical, yet always observant and never overwhelming. A really wonderful novel. So this was one I just really thoroughly enjoyed. Um, you got some good current events, uh, but you really kind of more what I found to be wonderful about this novel was the story of a, of a young girl um, growing up and kind of losing her innocence in a really scarring way, but intertwined with a really beautiful, um, you know, medieval tale so the i assume that though the two do not overlap in time obviously like the setting is the same like this is like a syrian mythology thing and is and is the author syrian that's an interesting question i actually don't know where the author is from i'll look um so there's nothing this is not a this is not a um fantasy story there's no suggestion that the uh the rawia storyline is real it's more, uh, if I'm remembering right, the kind of the in is that it's a story she's heard, mm-hmm. and it inter- it kind of connects with her overall story. And I'm looking right now, I can't find where Zinjukadar is from. Uh, wonderful writing, great story, really, really highly recommend it. Okay. Um, what can you think of a book that it's like is similar to? I'm having a hard time kind of like getting the the vibe of it. I'm trying to think of like another book where they mix like because it's ringing a bell. I'm trying to think of another book I've read where it mixes. You like you like Pillars of the Earth. Oh right? yeah, that's a great book. Is isn't that one where they do like different eras, kind of how they they echo with each other? Um, it's all kind of like one time setting, but like that's kind of like one of the overarching themes of it is like. Like it's a, it's a cathedral, right? So obviously it's built over like hundreds of years. Yeah, so that's kind of the idea. Well, whatever. We don't. I don't know. It's very it's very different. It's it's a little bit of the intergenerational family. Oh yes, kind your of, favorite genre kind of feel that we've that we've talked about. It doesn't. It's not that way in literal terms because again, there's no there's no like fantastical connection between the the myth and the true story. But there's that feel of generations passing and how it impacts a family over time. So it does have a little bit of that of that feeling to cool. it. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful story. And just to clarify for the listeners, uh, the the author, Zane Jukadar, is uh, non-binary. So apologies if I screwed up any pronouns there. Um, all right. So number nine is Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion. So Joan Didion is one of those authors that really snooty uh, readers like to say that they love. And I've never read any of her work. I am aware of her existence. But I think the only book I could have named for you is, I think it's the year, is it the year of magical thinking? Um, Yeah, it's the year of magical thinking. I think that's about her husband being diagnosed with cancer. And that's the only book I could have actually named by her. But I was aware of her existence and that a lot of people really like her. Uh, somehow or other, I, I decided I want I just wanted to find a book by her. And this was one that was really well-reviewed. It's on a lot of those. Oh, this is a great book lists. But um, I will read briefly. And just it's one of those the plot is less important than the writing books. But I'll give you quickly the um, – the description in Goodreads and then my review. So a ruthless dissection of American lives of American life in the late 1960s played as it lays captures the mood of an entire generation. The ennui of contemporary society reflected in spare prose that blisters and haunts the reader, blah, 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 blah. It continues on like that. Um, Way to pronounce ennui. I do love ennui. Uh, my review of this was not the type of structure I typically enjoy, but Didion's writing just worked for me. The story was dark and lonely, but it always felt funny and generous. It was almost like a 40s noir meets a Bukowski novel. So very, um, if you, if you liked Catcher in the Rye, or if you hated Catcher in the Rye, but wanted to uh. like it, this is one I would suggest you try. Cause I am very much on the record as having hated Catcher in the Rye. Uh, but this was one that, uh, I think, it's the the main character is a woman who's a bit older than Holden is. Uh, she's probably in her early right up mid-20s. Holden's alley. Yeah, she's similarly a real unsatisfied asshole. 
Um, but in a way that I found much more compelling than Holden, Holden's uh, unsatisfied assholery. And Joan Didion's writing was really wonderful. So I have a feeling if I were to pursue more of her work, a lot of it would be so plotless that I would be really kind of turned off by it. But this one had a, like a coherent enough plot that I was able to really enjoy her writing because she's a really, really excellent writer. And how did you come across this one? It was a, I, I wanted to check having read a book by her off my list and looked around for ones that seemed like they would work for me. And this one did. So I would I would suggest this also, I and I kind of touched on it in my review. The noir vibe is very real. Plot-wise, not at all. There's nothing mysterious or like particularly interesting about the plot. But if you like people smoking cigarettes and drinking martinis way too early in the day while they say really mean things in really cool oh. ways, this is this is good. This is good shit. All right. For yeah, I'm all over that. Yeah, so excellent book. Um, I don't. This will be. I'll put this on the list of. Don't be surprised if anybody who reads this on my recommendation hates it. But I think one or two of you out there will actually. Oh, really I love like books it. like that. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> All right, so number eight is a book that I bought used for way too much money. But a used bookstore should not charge fourteen dollars for a used paperback. Oh like, boy, that's not, that's not a used price i'm used to paying two bucks get out of here with this. that's a lot yeah so uh number eight is sing unburied sing by jessamine ward so this was a really popular book a couple years ago i think this was let me see what year this was published i can't seem to find it i want to say it was like 2016 or 2017 maybe um so it is about a family down south and there's this the main character well i guess it depends on how you take it but it's a it's about a family there's a young woman who's uh a young mother and she is not a very good mom she's really young and she's into drugs sure and yep and she has uh two kids one who is uh, a young boy and then one who's like a baby baby girl and they live with the mother uh, the young mother's parents um, on a little kind of backwoods home down south. And it is one of the more beautiful books I've read in a long time. So I will just read you the kind of the, the main piece of this. So it's in Jessamine's war in Jessamine Ward's first novel since her national book award winning salvage the bones This singular American writer brings the archetypal road novel into rural 21st century America. Drawing on Morrison and Faulkner, the Odyssey and the Old Testament, Ward gives us an epical story, a journey through Mississippi's past and present that is both an intimate portrait of a family and an epic tale of hope and struggle. Ward is a major American writer, multiply awarded and universally lauded, and in Sing Unburied Sing, she's at the height of her powers. So the unburied piece of this is that the story follows this family and they're a black family in Mississippi and it follows their day-to-day lives and how they have, you know, kind of in a lot of ways just been impacted by family trauma, but also by racial trauma and just their lives being really hard because they're poor from Mississippi And so it follows their lives, but it also follows this unburied concept, which is the ghosts of the past kind of haunting them. And it's one of those somewhat fantastical elements that you're not entirely sure is real in the context of the novel. So there are these ghosts of the past that sort of haunt these people. And I suspect that they're not intended to be real. Are they maybe drug induced? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's it could be uh it's when you see those lights um it's just it's a really beautiful novel about a family that's really struggling and really trying to be better and really finding it hard because of all of those unburied things in their lives uh really beautiful i my review is kind of less important but i i just described it as uh painfully beautiful and i the final act as nearly perfect and i think that's right it took me a little bit 
to get used to it because it's a, it's one of those books that shifts perspective quite a bit. Yeah. And so, uh, and in a less narratively driven story than something like Game of Thrones, that doesn't always kind of work as smoothly because you can't say, oh, I'm with this character, so we're doing these list of things. Uh, instead, you're getting more of the picture of the same story, but uh, from different perspectives. And so it took me a little bit to get mm-hmm. into. Um, but once I figured that out and kind of felt comfortable with the the rhythms of the story, really blown away. Wow. Sounds fun. And what did you hear? Would you hear of this one? That one I don't know. I want to say this one was one I had just seen on some lists a couple years ago and had kind of kept on my radar. And then I bumped into it at a highly overpriced used bookstore. Still though, that's the best when you like go into a bookstore and you see something and you recognize like its cover and you're like, oh, perfect. This is the time. Because otherwise you. Except that you usually think you're then going to get a deal. 14 bucks for a used paperback is extreme. Yeah, it's not right. It's a lot. It's not right. Uh, all right. Well, Kyle, that typically brings us to a certain part of typically, the list. Typically, but before we get started with this part of the list, we need somebody to cue it in and hit us with some stank. Wow. Boom. Kevin. Smooth. Very smooth right into that. Very nice. Very smooth, Kevster. Uh, All right. Well, that brings us to the not top. So this is not a particularly uh, fun piece of the list to curate, so I'm going to buzz through it because who cares? Like, I like... I'm kind of lame in that I like most everything I read, but I also don't think who who wants to listen to what i didn't like to read this year uh real quick the reserve by russell banks so russell banks is one of my favorite writers he wrote the book cloud splitter which is about john brown the apple yeah it was really long but amazing about the abolitionist john brown oh yeah he also wrote a book affliction yeah he wrote a book called affliction that was turned into a movie with um nick nolte and I want to say, um, not Chris Cooper, Brian Cox, I think, was in it. And uh, it's it's about a, a really dysfunctional family living in New Hampshire. And it's basically just about how men ruin each other's lives. So he's a really, like, legitimately great writer. really love him. Uh, and I found this book. I should have known. It was in the discount bin at Barnes & Noble for, like, two bucks. Um, which not 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 going against what i was saying on my last piece because that was at a used bookstore this is at barnes and noble two bucks at barnes and noble is a bad sign (laughs) uh so book was i I, like i liked the book because he's such a beautiful writer it was just this weird like 40s style melodrama that just didn't it wasn't it wasn't up to his standard so that was a real disappointment i feel like going back to last year all of your not top threes are from repeat authors for you it seems like almost always like well, let's keep to that list because this is my other two are, and I'll just zip through them, are The Sitterford Mystery and The Man in the Brown Suit by Agatha Christie. Mm. I find that when I come to love an author, I hold them to a high standard, and when they disappoint me, I get pissed. Yeah. That's fair, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, my biggest disappointment of the year, it's not eligible for the not top because it's nonfiction, uh, was The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Mm. Uh, Eric Larson's long been one of my favorite authors, and... The Splendid and the Vile was actually more offensive to me than a bad, bad book <laughs> because it was so plain vanilla and it's just against to me everything that that Eric Larson stands for. It's like imagine if you're a Lamar Jackson fan and he goes into the game and has like an OK game dropping back and throwing from the pocket. You'd be like, I'd rather you have a bad game going for it and running around and that was how i felt about the eric larson book what a beautiful analogy that's uh because <clears throat> because eric larson has the talent like he is a lamar, oh, yeah. a lamar jackson style talent you've seen him do it um yeah yeah his shit is just weird that's what he's great yeah. at like most people writing nonfiction don't do it that unconventionally so found it disappointing but that's that's slightly out of scope here that's uh stay tuned for next week's episode the kyle booker prize yeah uh all right so this next one is one that i'm sure a lot of people have heard of um it's the bluest eye by tony morrison so tony morrison uh of course very famous um i believe has won just about every prize there is i think she's won a nobel prize like she's she's kind of won them all 
considered one of the truly great American writers, but somebody who I really haven't read very widely. So I read, um, I read Beloved in high school, and I read one other book by her that I'm, I'm blanking on, but under bad circumstances, we've talked about this before, I didn't really like reading in school, and so a lot of times I will have read an author I didn't like at the time, and then later realized I was missing out just because the circumstances weren't right. So I said, you know, let's read some Toni Morrison, see how it is. Um, and I was staggered, like staggered by this book. So I will just real quick read the um, the blurb. So The Bluest Eye is Toni Morrison's first novel. That's not fair. Uh, a book heralded for the richness of language, for its richness of language and boldness of vision. Set in the author's girlhood hometown of Lorraine, Ohio, it tells the story of black 11 year old Pekala. That's how I pronounce that. I don't know if that's correct. Breed love. Pekala prays for her eyes to turn blue so that she will be as beautiful and beloved as all the blonde, blue eyed children in America. In the autumn of 1941, the year the marigolds in the Breed Love's garden do not bloom. Pekula's life does change in painful, devastating ways. What its vivid evocation of the fear and loneliness at the heart, uh, what its vivid evocation of the fear and loneliness at the heart of a child's yearning and the tragedy of its fulfillment. That's not a sentence. Uh, the Blue Sky remains one of Toni Morrison's most powerful, unforgettable novels and a significant work of American fiction. So it's one of those situations where the pitch on the book is uh, to me wrong. I was under the impression that this was a like a fantasy or a fable in which a girl wishes for blue eyes. And then it's like, I bet she didn't wish that. It's really more <laughs> like a, a a coming of age story about being young. and black. Oh, my and God. Her eyes are blue. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little different yeah. than that. So it's really just about a young girl growing up black in America. Uh, it's just I, I wrote. Uh, let's see. For, I, I'm going to read my review because I think it captures it. I said, magnificent, deeply, painfully, beautifully magnificent. From the first page to the last, this book broke my heart again and again. I didn't know a writer could convey so much pain, personal and historical, with a passage about a sofa. Uh, and you'll understand that if and when you read it. But um, she talks about a sofa and kind of what it says about a person and about a family. And I just was so struck by somebody being able to write something about something so prosaic and make it so meaningful she is such an incredibly gifted writer and this novel is it's just so heartbreaking and, and gorgeous would you say it's a good access point for tony morrison because i've never read anything and i need to so i think so yeah. because uh, but then again i'm beloved might be perfect i just yeah. i read it in high school and i i was i didn't have the time for it i did but i thought you i didn't make the time for it yeah uncharted uh or something stupid but um i think it would be i loved it knowing that it's her first novel and that it was accessible i say why not start there okay that's definitely gonna go high on my list then so number six it's interesting how your your thoughts shift throughout the year so number six is uh similar to last year's number one so last year's number one if i'm remembering right was normal people by sally rooney it was so number six is Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. So right off the bat, I think my review is basically like I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't quite connect with it quite as strongly as I did normal people. That incredibly high bar aside, blah, blah, blah. Like it wasn't to me. It didn't it didn't connect with me quite the same way normal people did. Mm. Uh, but it was very similar that's, in that's such a high bar for you to clear because you for me yeah. yes and it, it's definitely similar subject matter similar tone uh and like i found out last year sally rooney is one of the most incredibly polarizing authors out there <laughs> so if last year i said normal people is my favorite book of the year and you hated it you will hate this because it's very similar but if you liked it and you found something revelatory in it you will likely find the same from this one. Is it set in Ireland? It is set in Ireland. All right, that's great then, because my probably my favorite part of reading Normal People was listening to it on Audible. Um, oh, because the the actors, the voice actors, were either Irish or doing an Irish accent, and I really, really liked it. So I have to pick this one. It's up. very soothing, isn't it? Oh, it's great, especially. Uh, 
what's the kid? What's the guy's name in that book? Column. Column. It's a well. It's a woman who's doing it, and she's like doing this like low voice to try to be like a little more masculine, and it's like weirdly really nice to listen to. Oh, Connell. Sorry, Connell. I said Column. I meant Connell. Connell. Yeah, that's it. Um, but anyways, that's normal people, not conversations with friends. Yeah, I mean, I can I could read you the uh, pitch or the the little synopsis. It doesn't really matter. It's the same deal. It's about young people going through some shit and learning about themselves, and in my opinion, doing so in the context of just terribly well written and beautiful um, work from Sally Rooney. Highly recommend as a follow up to last year. Uh, if people didn't watch it. They should watch the, I don't know, I always say BBC, I don't think it was actually the BBC, but some sort of British adaptation of Normal People that I, Caroline and I watched on Hulu. It was amazing. If you didn't like the book, I wouldn't be surprised if you also don't like the show, but I think there's at least a chance that somebody who didn't kind of, you know, fucks with the book might like the show. So I think you should try it. I need to go back and watch it because I did like the book uh yeah so that's good and i suspect that they'll probably do the same with conversations with friends i don't know why they wouldn't normal people was a hit and it's the same seems like a pretty pretty easy layup yeah yes sorry bob all right so number five was one i read recently and i will admit for the listeners i read quite extensively uh (laughs) while up in a tree stand supposedly hunting (laughs) (laughs) uh you're not i don't think you're supposed to read while up in a tree stand it was not a dangerous situation i wasn't like in the act of hunting i was really just sitting outside with a gun like propped up between your legs (laughs) yeah so i read this one quite extensively there so this is uh by the author alexander solzhenitsyn uh, who folks have probably heard of uh i believe he's also a nobel prize winner he he wrote uh a trilogy I think it's a trilogy, the Gulag Archipelago, Ooh. Um, about his experiences as a political prisoner in uh, the former Soviet Union. So he's a really, really famous um, anti-communist and like a, a much better known political figure in his day than um, kind of now as a as a artist. Though his writing is really well known as well. So I remember I had a professor. Uh, in college for my Eastern religions class, who was Ukrainian. And he spoke very reverentially about Solzhenitsyn um, as like a, a real freedom fighter. This guy had had really serious experience with repression in, uh, I think in his youth, the Soviet Union, but later in life, even in modern Russia. And I was in this professor's class at the time that uh, Russia annexed the Crimea in twenty. 14 i think that was whatever year it was um and so i had kind of circled solzhenitsyn as somebody i wanted to read for a long time and i settled on uh one day in the life of ivan denisovich because it was fiction and this is like a maybe i don't know 150 200 page book something like that it's a really quick quick book uh and it is exactly what it promises it is one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. Oh, I love a that. Prisoner, yeah, a prisoner in the Soviet gulag um, in the far north. Just imagine uh, you're in Siberia. I don't know if he's actually in Siberia, but you're in a work camp under Stalin. And it's this really amazing thing where, and I think what was revolutionary at the time was that everything is so stupid like all the people there know that they shouldn't be there. The guards know they shouldn't be there. They all think it's dumb, but they just kind of are there. And it's this really weird. It's not, it's not this, the guards are evil. The inmates are good kind of uh, binary that had been typically used in sort of political protest work before. It was this very different thing where everybody realized the absurdity of the situation uh, it reminded me a lot of King Rat. Arr. It's a much more overtly, it's a much more overtly political uh, story than King Rat, but it's the same kind of idea where you have this little world within a prison. Uh, the difference in this little world is 
there's not there's not this sort of faction that hopes to get out which is interesting and different from king rat because in king rat you are sort of reading through the eyes of the cynic who doesn't really like care to think about what's outside of the prison camp but there are some people who think that way and it's a little bit of the uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest sort of like hippies versus you know the squares kind of battle this is different where everyone is just knows how fucked up this is it's kind of interesting like how <laughs> like something like like that like stalinism like at a high level makes sense and then like the further the more granular you get the more like hard it is to put it like and actually rationalize it and like understand how the the pieces fit so it sounds like this is kind of like describing that how like <laughs> this general ism doesn't actually in practice make much sense um exactly when put into practice and well you couldn't have sold me more by uh comparing it to king rat i'm definitely gonna read this yeah that's that's a wonderful one and i particularly thought of you uh when i read it wow i'm flattered so that's that one yep next is uh american pastoral by philip roth so people might be thinking about Philip Roth now because um, last year they adapted the show called, now it's escaping me, the, why can't I think of it? It's the one about the alternate history in which the Nazis won and uh, the man Charles in the high Lindbergh castle president. No, uh, Charles Lindbergh is president. Why can't I think of it? Hold on. The plot against America. That's the one. Uh, yeah, so so there was just the show, The Plot Against America, which was done by David Simon. Uh, David Simon? Yeah, the creator of The Wire. And it was uh, it was an alternate history in which the Nazis win. Charles Lindbergh is president. It's a whole deal. Um, so Philip Roth was kind of recently, um, you know, kind of had a revival for that. But he's one of those contenders for the, the great American novelist titles. Mm. Um, I had only read one book by him, which was ironically and kind of hilariously called the great American novel. <laughs> and it was very self-aware and winking. And it was about a baseball team that had all kinds of like ridiculous crap going on, including one uh, little person nice. who is not referred to as such in the story, whose whole deal is just taking a walk every time because the strike zone is so small. Is this a Bill Vec team? <laughs> yeah, it is. So it's just, it's just, a silly novel and it was the only thing i had read um it's the only thing i had read by him but i had wanted to read this one for a while um it totally lived up to my expectations and more so i'll read you the setup in american pastoral philip roth gives us a novel of unqualified greatness that is an elegy for all the 20th century's promises of prosperity civic order and domestic bliss Roth's protagonist is Seymour Swede Lavav, a legendary high school athlete, a devoted family man, a hard worker, the prosperous inheritor of his father's Newark glove factory, <laughs> comes of age in thriving, triumphant post-war America, and then one day in 1968, Swede's beautiful American luck deserts him. For Swede's adored daughter, Mary has grown from a loving, quick-witted girl into a sullen, fanatical teenager, a teenager capable of an outlandishly savage act of political terrorism an overnight swede is wrenched out of the longed for american pastoral and into the indigenous american berserk compulsively readable propelled by sorrow rage and a deep compassion for its characters this is roth's masterpiece it sounds like a modern like like a modern and super ironic version of job is that I, that's it's funny you say that that's like a, such a perfect description of this it's su it's such a exactly perfect description of what this is and that actually makes me think if you were a uh movie watcher who likes a serious that's man, what it sounds like you were describing this is it basically is a serious man but in novel form um it's so funny like the beginning and I, i'm trying to remember this setup exactly philip roth has a has a uh a character that's like his avatar called nathan zuckerman who's basically him and so te technically speaking this is part of a series. It's not. It's just, I think he goes to a, Nathan Zuckerman, the Roth character, goes to a high school reunion uh -oh. and sees Swede. And that's like what kicks it off. But basically you see through the eyes of these characters who think this guy has the perfect life. 
and he did, and then his life just gets butt fucked. Is this book as hilarious as it sounds? Because I'm getting like, maybe not hilarious, but it sounds like it's like intended to be kind of like darkly, like ironic, I guess, if not funny. I mean, it's a serious man. Yeah. It's, it's such you were so right on in comparing it to that. It's really funny in the same way that um, uh, I always want to call him Cy Abelman because that's the guy who's banging his wife. But whatever the main character <laughs> yeah. of Serious Man is, when he goes to the rabbi and he's telling him the story about the goy with uh, the Torah passages on his teeth, and he's like, "So what's the point?" He's like, "Huh? What, what do you mean? What's the point? I just that's." The goy had the teeth. And he's like, what? Huh? And he's just like looking for some answers. It's funny in the way that's funny. Where you're like, oh, that's funny. But oh, no. I'm going to read the shit out of this book. It sounds great. Yeah. It's really wonderful. Uh, it's it's effed. It's definitely an effed story. But it's, it's really, really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if it sets you on a philip roth journey because i feel like he's well suited to your taste okay yeah it sounds very much up my alley yeah yes sir all right well that brings us uh to the honorable so i'm just gonna buzz through the honorable as quickly them. as i can all right so 11 is one we're gonna be talking about soon the water dancer aha uh quite liked it uh number 12 one that a lot of people have read uh it's more of a kid's book or a young adult that i really liked was the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian uh, it's my second Sherman Alexi. He's great. Really big fan. Uh, number 13 was The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. So that one's about um, uh, an escape from like a boys reformatory camp. And I think it's based off a true story of a racially segregated reformatory camp for boys from the early 1900s. And if I'm remembering the story right, it, they found a bunch of bodies buried on the premises and it led to an investigation and this is like supposedly telling the story of that i see really good book especially for people who liked uh, the underground railroad by him mm. number 14 the ichabog by jk rowling it's a uh, fairy tale uh kind of fable that she apparently made for her kids and then uh turned into an actual published book it was i mean she's just amazing it's it's so on the nose, but also so subtle in its kind of political commentary. Just really wonderful. It's like it's like a political fable for children. I saw that at the bookstore the other day and flipped through it and really, really enjoyed the illustrations. That's worth noting. It's yeah, that's that is worth noting. Do you want to explain? It so my understanding is that she, well, I don't know how she went about it, but she she solicited all the illustrations from children. That she read published the, book. the story online. Yeah, it was how it was out. Okay. But the point is that, like, it's illustrated by, like, dozens of children. Like, the, like every couple pages, there's a picture of what's going on, but it's drawn by, like, an eight-year-old. It's fantastic. Yeah. Really wonderful. So, highly recommend. Number 15 is a, a belated addition to the readable old books category. Uh, it's The Leopard. And I believe it's Il Ghetto Pardo oh. in Italian. I believe it's, I think the author's name is uh, Lampedusa. I think it's Giuseppe Lampedusa. Okay, Bella. Uh, I want to check that now. Um, but at any rate, it's, um, it is about a decaying Sicilian royal family. And um, it's actually really readable, like shockingly readable and really insightful for a book. I want, I'm going to look now what year it was written. It's a long, it's a long time ago. Uh, set in the 1860s, published in much more recently than that, but um, I think sometime in the 1900s. But at any rate, surprising amount of uh, psychological insight for a story written at that time. So that was, that was really good. Uh, 16 was one of the big ones from this year that a lot of people read, was on a lot of lists. Uh, Deacon King Kong by James McBride. So I'm, that was the second book I'd read by him. Uh, the Good Lord Bird was one I loved from a couple years ago that just got turned into a TV show with Ethan Hawke about the abolitionist John Brown. Uh, Deacon King Kong is about this old guy who is uh, known as the drunk in the neighborhood and he shoots a young drug dealer. But he like kind of can't remember why he did it and the kid used to play baseball for him and it's like this weird, funny, uh, like, 
I, I don't even know how you describe it. Weird story of uh, a small um, ghetto, and it's it's really good. Interesting. Yep. Uh, number 17, French Exit, Patrick DeWitt, the guy who wrote uh, Sisters Brothers. Yeah, this was on my one list. That will, one that will disappear from my memory, but I think I'm sort of unfairly underrating it because it was really beautifully written and really funny and I think accomplished exactly what it set out to accomplish. I think it was just sort of a more minor entry, but really funny, like as funny as books get to me. Wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, I find it's really hard to write a funny book, in my opinion. That's a funny one. Number 18, When the Nines Roll Over. This was one I actually just got for Christmas and read between Christmas and the New Year. Wow. Uh, from Caroline. It's David Benioff. It's a collection of short stories. Uh, so the creator of the Game of Thrones television show. Wow. Also a really excellent novelist. So uh, When the Nines Roll Over, really good collection of stories. Cool. Number 19, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, another uh, short story collection by Disha Filia, I think her name is. Let me see if I can get that right. Um, yeah, she was recommended to me by uh, somebody who I'll mention in the nonfiction section, but um, it was just a good collection of short stories. It's mostly uh, young black women, um, just funny. I, I really, you are such a short story guy. I feel like you would enjoy those. I'm always down for a uh, short story. Number number 20 is one that folks will be familiar with a little bit. Uh, it's Enigma. So it's by Robert Harris, who's such an excellent historical fiction novelist who I really love. Written a bunch of books we've talked about in the past. We talked about Pompeii, I think, maybe last year was by him. Well, we talked about... What's the one with the Nazis? With the Oh, we did talk about that, where I've got the swastika on the cover. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the name right now. Reich or no? Some, like, y- yeah, 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 it is. It's um, Fatherland. 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 <laughs> Close. Yeah. Uh, no, but it, it is. It's fa- so. Uh, this one is um, basically the story of Alan Turing, but it's not Alan Turing. It's the people in his hut. I think they call it like Hut Eleven or something. So dope. Um, at Bletchley Park during World War Two. It's really good. It's not his best work, um, but it's really good. I'm into that. Yeah, number 21, uh, Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. Uh, he wrote Siddhartha, which I love. Steppenwolf wasn't quite as good. It's about like a disaffected dude in Germany back in the Dizay. <laughs> 22, uh, a recommendation from listener Claire K, which is ranked too low, I'm thinking now, but the the art of hearing heartbeats, which I love, which is about this kid... Uh, who I be- if I'm remembering right, he gets blinded and becomes superhuman at hearing. But it's basically a story set. Um, now I want to make sure I'm getting this right exactly where it was set. Uh, hold on. Yeah, set- it is set in Burma. Uh, so Burma, Myanmar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Burma then, I think Myanmar now, and um, it's it's a story about family over many many years. It's a really excellent intergenerational family tale streaming in cuban number 23 similar great intergenerational family epic about a cuban family in the united states uh number 24 uh heads of the colored people which is a collection of short stories that i really liked that was uh by nif let me get her name right uh this one is uh nafisa thompson spires 25 agent running in the field it is actually the last novel by john le carre oh uh unfortunate because not my favorite the one he wrote the year before in totally improbably is one of my favorites even though he wrote it at the age of like 86 this one wasn't his best but it's still great did he just pass he did yeah bummer just like weeks yeah yeah very like incredibly sad um and the last one I have on the fiction list uh, for the honorables is I Was Never Really Here, which is um, a short story or a novella by Jonathan Ames, who is the creator and uh, fictional main character of one of my favorite shows, Bored to Death. Oh. This was one that was made into a movie with Joaquin Phoenix. That's right. With the hammer, right? Um, with the hammer. Yeah. So the book was excellent. 
Uh, it shouldn't be this low, but it is just because I try not to give too many of my favorites uh, top of the list. Sure. All right. Let's get back to it. Number top three. three. Uh, number three. Book a lot of people read. Uh, I was hesitant because so many people read it. They were right. It was fantastic. Number three, A Gentleman in Moscow. I, I've heard this book mentioned like four times this year, which is a lot Like from my group of people that I know. I am trying to figure out. Caroline didn't love it, which I'm very perplexed by because it's so exactly her jam. Hmm. But I'm looking right now. So Caroline gave it three stars on Goodreads. Whoa. My sister Nicole gave it four and Tatum gave it five. So a lot of people we know have read it. I got a bunch of people who have marked it as to read. It's very popular. So it's basically the story of, um, I believe he's a count, Count Alexander Rostov, who is um, placed into a hotel under basically house arrest uh, when the Bolsheviks revolt. And he ends up living in this hotel for uh, like 20 years. So it's the terminal. And it, it is. It's, it is. That's actually, it's a great comparison. Yeah, it's basically the terminal, but <laughs> set in post-revolutionary Russia. Mm. And it's like, it's stunning how good this book is. It's really, it's funny where it doesn't, it doesn't like almost ever explicitly get into people's feelings, but it conveys them so effectively. It's kind of shocking that you can just plot, 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 but through such effective plotting convey so much about the characters. Um, I, I couldn't recommend this highly enough and I couldn't recommend it widely enough. Like, I think I've tried to be clear on some of these where I think people yeah. could like it, could not. Like, I think there are some people are going to think Play It As It Lays is really excellent. Like, wow, what a great, you know, writer. And some people are going to be like, that was boring as shit. Nothing happened. I would be hard pressed to imagine the person who didn't really like Gentleman in Moscow. I am definitely going to read that one. Um, Yeah. I remember the first I'd heard of it was... We were skiing last year, and uh, Marie, our mutual friend, was reading it, and she was recommending recommending it highly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's funny. It's really rare for a book to appeal so widely, but I, so many different people with such different taste have mentioned it to me, or like I knew they read it, or whatever. It's it's pretty rare. I'm excited for that one. All right, number two is another... I've got a good list of nice short ones this year. Uh, some of them are a little longer, but this is another one of the really good kind of short stories. Um, it says 300 pages, but it's it's not a 300-pager. It's like... A, it reads like a 200-er. Okay, so snappy. So this is the price... Yeah, it's it depends on the edition you get. It's either the price of salt or carol. It will depend on whether you buy an old version or a newer version. It will also depend on which version you buy, whether it will say it's by Claire Morgan or by the actual author, Patricia Highsmith. Huh. So Patricia Hi Patricia Highsmith is the creator of um, the talented Mr. Ripley character and oh. the author of that book, which I really love. So this book is about a young woman who is unsatisfied in love and ends up meeting an older woman who uh, is going through a divorce and they fall in love. And this story, this book was published in the 1950s, 1952. So Whoa. it was, it was, that's why she wrote it under a pseudonym because the story about sure. two uh, gay, gay women having an affair was not going to be very well received at the time. No. What is that? Kitty. Oh, sorry. Cat knocked something down. It's the ghost of lesbians um, past. It is the ghost of lesbians <laughs> past. Um, the walls lose green time. <laughs> oh, they always do that. Nosferatu. I'll do the whole bit if we want yeah. to. Um, yeah, so this is... So if people have read or seen The Talented Mr. Ripley, they know that Patricia Highsmith... Or uh, Strangers Strangers on a Train, I think she wrote, too. I think. Which is a Hitchcock movie. I think she wrote that one, too. Damn. Um. Yeah, she's just a really tight plotter, really like effective uh, economical type writer. She reminds me a lot of um, um, Gillian Flynn, 
Like a very, oh. I think Gillian Flynn is a very logical successor to uh, Patricia Highsmith. And so if you're a person who liked Gone Girl, uh, Sharp Objects, Dark Places, anything like that, or likes writers like that, uh, same with like if you like old noir writers who are really kind of spare and economical in their prose, but are really hard hitting, Patricia Highsmith's an excellent writer. And The Price of Salt is uh, really fantastic. It conveys the feeling of falling in love for the first time about as well as you can. Uh, it's just really heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, it's approach to that these women are uh, in an affair with each other very interestingly in that it doesn't make it it doesn't make the the forbidden nature of their love the focus. It's a little bit more like that they love each other and can't figure out what to do about that personally that's the focus of the novel um it was it it knocked me on my ass it was really amazing okay sold yeah and there's a movie adaptation with uh kate blanchett and rooney mara oh that came out a couple years ago i'm really into that uh kyle that's inappropriate what they're great actresses yes they are um all right so that was number two number two uh number one a book that hilariously I had on my bookshelf for several years. I bought it at the uh, Harvard book sale, which they do every year. They do like a warehouse book sale, and I make out like a bandit. Like I'm talking seven, eight books for 20 bucks. Uh, and they're always new and high quality. So this one I bought, and then it, I mean, it just languished on my shelf for no reason for several years. But then I finally read it, and I loved it. It's The Changeling by Victor Laval. The changeling. So I will read you my review because I actually don't. And I would recommend you not even read the um, like the publicly available synopses because okay. they are a little too spoilerific to me because I read it like really kind of fresh. Mm. So my review was astonishingly good. It's almost impossible to write a spoiler free review. But suffice it to say, this was a combination of Michael Shabon and Neil Gaiman. Fuck. As with any as with any ambitious work, some parts didn't work, but the whole was wonderful. I loved Laval's wordcraft, pacing, and style. Wow. That, the, like combining those two authors, it's kind of funny because they kind of remind me of each other already. So it makes sense. But mm -hmm. wow, like that is uh, that's high praise. It really is. I had such a nice, and this is such a funny thing we've talked about before my reading experience was so pleasant um and so that definitely contributes to it and i would understand if somebody doesn't love it quite as much as i did it's not going to have the same sort of universal appeal as gentlemen of moscow but it was the book that i i connected with the most for the year one funny thing to note is and I think this definitely says much more about um, the publishing industry and like the review machine than the book <laughs> itself. A lot of people writing about this frame. And again, this was all stuff I read after. Yeah. Um, frame this book as an issue book, like a book about race in America or about like a, a lot of things that I didn't think it was about. It was. That's the best. And though. I understand. It was, and I, I don't want to take that away from the book because it did function on a lot of levels, but that wasn't... It's not what it was to you. That wasn't what it was to me. This is really funny. I'm actually looking. This might be a total coincidence, but when you look at the right side of the screen on Goodreads, it says featured book American Gods by Neil Gaiman. I That might be a coincidence. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but it's um, like just astonishing and works on a lot of levels but it primarily works on the level of being an awesome ass book i'm definitely going to read that <sighs> yep 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 all right i'm gonna just like truly buzz through my series i'm gonna leave off the nonfiction because we're gonna cover that in your world yep. so i'll mention some of those then but the series series came through this year my series were basically all good <laughs> uh so, uh, great Hercule Poirot in the Monogram Murders. That was a um, Sophie Hanna. So it was a like a mm. ghost written, but it was excellent. Uh, the Children of Hurin, which I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. It I is Hurin, Hurin and Turin. Yeah, 
Who Ran Into It by J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien, given to uh, us by Jameson. Excellent. Wonderful. Mycroft Holmes by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And yes, you heard that right, by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What the fuck? Really good. <laughs> like, really good. Not fair that it was good, but really good. That Hideous Strength, the final uh, installment in the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. Weird, but excellent. Uh, uh, next, Toby's Room which is book two of the Life Life Class trilogy by Pat Barker. Pat Barker is the woman who wrote the Regeneration trilogy that I just adore. Uh, Also Silence of the Girls, which was on last year's list. Yeah. Toby's Room is the second in a trilogy about these young art students during World War I. Really good. Uh, Black Leopard and Red Wolf, which was the first in a planned trilogy, I believe, by Marlon James. Um, It's this really really outrageously violent and uh sexual story about um it's like combining african myth with just basically people butt fucking each other all over the place it's um really great but weird thumbs up yeah uh (laughs) two entries in uh the book of dust which i started this year uh the belle sauvage la belle sauvage and the secret commonwealth which are a prequel and a sequel, respectively, to the beloved um, Northern Lights or His Dark Materials trilogy. Interesting. Troubled Blood, the latest installment in... Uh, and I just want to point out, The Secret Commonwealth, my review to that was that I think it's the Order of the Phoenix of uh, the new trilogy. Oh. A lot of people are going to say that was boring and I hated it. I was all about it. <laughs> um, Troubled Blood, I think, to date, the best entry in the Corman Strike series which is really saying something because i love those and then finally on the series uh the mirror and the light by hillary mantel people will have heard of uh wolf hall which was uh like a man booker prize winner a couple years ago about king henry the eighth and there was a tv show starring um the dude from bridge of spies and uh, mark rylance and um it was really you know kind of beloved I liked it. I liked the second one. I kind of made myself read the third one. I had liked both of the first two, but not as much as I wanted to. I, I wanted to be cooler and like them more. The third one really like was just amazing. It's about um, his uh, King Henry VIII's advisor, Cromwell. And after he's helped uh, King Henry dispatch his first several wives, realizing that the noose is tightening on him and like spoiler alert because history will tell us is Cromwell gets is killed oh yeah and the whole <laughs> story is you kind of coming up to the moment where he's killed and he what's cool about the book what i think is the really kind of magic trick about it is that you as the reader know for historical reasons that he's going to be executed but he also knows for reasons that he lives in this weird world of whispers. And so the whole time, both you and Cromwell are taking the journey together towards his death. And it's really excellent. It could be read as a standalone uh, from the other two, if you're interested, because it's definitely the best of the three. So that's the scoop. Uh, what do you have to plug on fiction? I'll just list the my like four that I really loved that I would recommend highly. Uh, one is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed. Um, I gotta get on that. You recommended that and I've been procrastinating. I, uh, it'll take you like an afternoon. Like if that, it's like, it's like 60 pages or some shit, but it left me a reel and it's really fucking good. And, uh, I think they made a movie out of it with, um, yeah. Jesse Plemons. It's supposed to be great, right? I'm very, very, very excited about it. Um based on the book i highly recommend that one and it's so quick anyone could read it in like a day or two um station 11 by emily st john mandel mm. this was one of my absolute favorites of the year it's um it's uh, it's careful because it's topical it's about a uh pandemic <laughs> a far more deadly <laughs> version of uh coronavirus that has like a 99 percent kill rate as opposed to a 99 percent survival rate and it takes place like 20 years after like first first outbreak and it's about a traveling band of shakespearean actors that just like roam they just like every year they do a loop of michigan they go all the way up around the top and back down to chicago and then they cut back across 
Um, it's really they loop the oop. They loop the oop. It's fucking. It's fucking great. Um, I highly recommend Station Eleven. Um, and uh, up next, this is technically a series. I, I'll I'll warn you that I have not read the the rest of the trilogy. I've only read the first one, so I can't recommend the entire trilogy. But the Three Body Problem is among the greatest works of fiction I've read in my life. It is so fucking good. Um, but uh, did you hear that this is in the news recently? Why is that? Well, I, and I was hoping you were going to supply the facts. I think they're turning it into a movie or something. And one of the people involved, and I'm probably butchering this, somehow or other, somebody involved with this was poisoned. And I think that that connects to the book. Gasp. Like, I heard in the news that the, that it's like this weird uh, clandestine murder that I guess mirrors something that happened in the book. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, Do some research, because I don't know enough, because I don't know about the book. I, I'm aware of the book's existence, but I, I heard that in the news. It's like, it's like as wildly, like, I remember when I was a kid and I read A Wrinkle in Time, like, it just, like, blew my head, like, out of my asshole. Like, I'd never contemplated any of the things that could ever happen in that book. And this book, like, as a grown man, I read it and was, like, rolling around on the ground, like, couldn't believe my brain. It was, like... It's so good. It's a little choppy because it's translated from Chinese, but um, wow, I can't, I'm I'm saving. I'm gonna try to read the next book this year and then the third. I just want to space it out because it's like it's so good. Um, that's such a cool feeling. Wanted to really savor it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's Shishin Lu. That's the the author. That one I I really love. This last one I will say is not recommended to everyone, and in fact, I would recommend to almost no one. Um, but it was probably my favorite. Am I part of the almost no one list? I think you would, I think I would recommend it to you. It's, okay. It's one of the best things I've ever read, but like, I could understand how the most people that read it would absolutely hate it. Um, it's infinite jest, which is, has, I think earned a reputation for being really, really snooty because it is. Because it's like it's like a, it's like eleven hundred pages. It's fucking ridiculous, and the timeline is weird. It's like non chronological, and he just makes up words and he uses like really obscure words. And it's like half of the book, not half, like a big chunk of it is in footnotes. So you're like flipping back and forth. It's it's <laughs> if you can put up with it, and if you would like a challenge, it is so fucking worth it. Like it's work. Like you have to like really work to get through it. But once you get like. Once you get like a third of the way through it, you won't be able to stop. And it's the problem is that like getting a third of the way through it is like reading a long book. So it sounds sort of Moby Dickish. It is. It's emphasis on the dickish. Like it's it's like actually mean at times. <laughs> um, but it's it's not too much of a spoiler to say that it's all extremely intentional. And it's like David Foster Wallace I, is like probably by I've read so much of him this year. He's so good. And uh, if you have the time and the patience it really, really, really pays off. So that is my pitch for Infinite Jest. Well, I love it. And that's that. I love it, I love it. All right, I'll run through the list and let's get the hell out of here. Yep. All right, number 10, The Map of Salt and Stars, Zane Jukadar. Number nine, Played as It Lays, Joan Didion. Number eight, Sing Unburied Sing, Jasmine Ward. Number seven, The Bluest Eye, Toni Morrison. Number six, Conversations with Friends, Sally Rooney. Number five, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Number four, American Pastoral, Philip Roth. Number three, A Gentleman in Moscow, Amor Tolls. Number two, The Price of Salt, or Carol, by Patricia Highsmith or Claire Morgan. Number one, my favorite book of the year. Wow. And the winner of the 2020 Mike Booker Prize, The Changeling, by Victor Laval. Congratulations, winner of the Mike Booker Prize. Yep, you got it. Slap it on the cover. It's like winning the Joan Calamezzo uh, Jones Book Club Award. Joan gotcha! (laughs) Great work, Mike. I love doing this uh, hopefully every year for the rest of my life and adding dozens of books to my list at a time. Yeah, I know. Just drinking them, just taking a butt shot, <laughs> drinking, butt chugging all of my favorite books. Drinking right out of the hose. Uh, all right, now let's get yep. out of here then. Um, 
usually at this point, I thank Kevin McLeod, which I will do now. Thank you, Kevin McLeod, for our uh, intro and not top three music. Thank you, my dear sister Erin, for her artwork. It's fantastic. You probably noticed it if you're listening to this podcast. It's our two faces. It's really good. And if you want to see more stuff like that by my sister Erin, of course, Saint Design is the place to go for that. That's Instagram. And make sure you check it out because yep. it will be on the test at the end of the semester. It certainly will be on the test. Check it out. And if you're checking out the old Instagram Maroonies, uh, feel free to check out our Instagram run by my uh, lovely wife, uh, Caroline Labranti. That is our at top10km, 10 spelled out T-E-N, on Instagram. If you prefer the old Facebook, because you're old, lame. Uh, you can check out our uh, page, uh, old, or uh, <laughs> I should say old 10, uh, top 10 with Kyle and Mike. Uh, and if you want to lodge a complaint, tell us that you want new artwork, which we will not give to you because we've already blown our whole budget on yeah. Aaron's initial artwork. You can send those emails uh, to our junk mail at top10km at gmail.com. The 10 also spelled out T-E-N. Now, finally, I'm sure you're listening to some sort of listening app, but if you're looking for a new one, you can check us out on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So, Kyle, that's what I have to say. Boom! Thank you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. See you in Peace. five minutes. I will see you in five minutes. <laughs>